0: God, please be with us just now. Open our minds to um, some events that uh, seem very strange to us in the 21st century, but please make them relevant. Help us to learn something important about you today. Amen. Last time we finished uh, talking about the flood, and not to say a lot about this, but of course you remember the next uh, event after the flood, whatever the Tower of Babel looked like. Here's one uh, picture, perhaps. But this tower was built to reach the heavens. And I found it interesting here, the uh, description. The people said, then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower that reaches heaven or the heavens. Let's make ourselves famous so we won't be scattered here and there across the earth. Uh, Some people feel that uh, perhaps they built the tower because, hey, if there's another flood, let's build something really high. Okay. If God does it again, we want to be able to, uh, perhaps we'll be safe this time. I found it interesting here that on the note here on the heavens, that uh, the Babylonian ziggurats had temples at the top. Now, we don't know this. This is uh, speculative. uh, But is it possible here that they're building these towers and that there is a temple at the top, just like we see uh, in the 35 or so Um, uh, surviving uh, mainly in Iran and Iraq. But there were these temples at the top suggesting they reached to the heavens, trying to reach the heavens, the dwelling place of the gods. And so, again, one of the few uh, remaining, I think, in in Iraq. And so these were built to get higher and higher and uh, uh, probably would build a temple at the top to try to get uh, closer to the gods. And the priest would uh, do his uh, activities uh, up there in the temple. Well, I think we could be pretty safe in saying if there was a temple up there, it probably was not a temple to the true living God because God didn't seem very happy about what they were doing um, here building the temple. And of course, you remember what happened in the scattering uh, of the people here from the Tower of Babel. But we want to come to uh, Abraham. And if you just read on uh, through this account thus far, you know, it's pretty uh, depressing. Adam and Eve leave the garden then we've got Cain killing Abel. Then we've got the flood. Then we've got the Tower and Babel. And it just kind of is a, is a cascade down. And so, other than Enoch, one little bright moment there, uh, Abraham, of course, is uh, something positive that happened. And we're going to talk about two stories today, but I want to keep coming back to this. How do we understand what are our principles for trying to put these stories together? Remember, we said we want to use the whole Bible, not just a little passage. We want to use the whole Bible to try to understand um, subjects, that's very important. The main thing we'll see from today is that we have to consider the time and the culture. Um, This is uh, uh, becoming uh, more and more uh, relevant um, to us trying to put this together, even things like uh, the writings of Paul about uh, uh, justification and sanctification and all of this. We need to understand what did that mean to the people in that time? You wanna understand hell? For example, well, what did it mean to the Jews talking about uh, this uh, garbage dump outside the city that was continually burning? What did it mean to them? Um, How we put these things together, we have to understand the time and the culture if we're gonna bring it to a a contemporary understanding for us. Of course, we always wanna put Jesus front and center as the clearest revelation of who God is. Uh, We mentioned last time that Jesus would come along and would say about things in the Old Testament, well, yeah, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Yes, it's in there. Uh, yes, I gave that rule, but no longer. Now love your enemies. Pray for them. Okay, so Jesus clearly came to do away with some things to uh, bring us to a clearer revelation. He is the clearest revelation of who God is. Remember, it's okay to ask questions, consider possibilities, change our mind based on new evidence and uh, that this is an individual thing. We don't rely on just others to tell us um, the way things are. Although, of course, if you've got a Greek Hebrew scholar, you want to try to you know, glean all of that uh, uh, important evidence, but it doesn't mean they're right about all of their theology. Now, on the point of taking the entire Bible to understand things, if we're just reading about Abraham, um, we miss a little nugget here if we don't read the whole Bible. About Abraham. Because there's this incredible verse here in Joshua. You wouldn't think you're going to find anything about Abraham in Joshua. uh, But listen to the words here. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, Terah and his sons, Abraham and Nahor, lived on the other side of the Euphrates. And what were they doing? And served other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the other side of the Euphrates River. I led him through all of Canaan and gave him many descendants. I also gave him Isaac. And the story goes on. Uh, But it is important that we see God here. Finally, he has a a friend, someone who trusts him. But God is bringing Abraham out of a family that was worshiping and serving other gods, uh, which would suggest that um, Uh, Abraham had some things to learn about God. And uh, so uh, I think it's important to see this is who God is working with. And uh, we look back and we're shocked at some of the things going on with uh, Abraham and David who had many wives and some of the violent things uh, that were involved in these stories. Well, God is, is working with these people. Okay, so Abraham goes out. And we want to consider two stories. The first relates to God's promise to Abraham and how he... Uh, declared that yes, he really would fulfill his covenant. So the Lord took him outside and said, look at the sky and try to count the stars. You will have as many descendants as that. Abram put his trust in the Lord and because of this, the Lord was pleased with him and accepted him. And later on, Abraham was declared God's friend. Then the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who led you out of Ur in Babylonia to give you this land as your own. But Abraham, Man of faith asked, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that it will be mine? Okay. Yes, great man of faith, but um, he wanted a little evidence. How can I really know? Okay, and listen to what happened. God said, bring me a cow, a goat, and a ram, each of them three years old, and a dove, and a pigeon. Abram brought the animals to God, cut them in half, and placed the halves opposite each other in two rows. It uh, doesn't make any sense to us. Um, I mean, we, d- we don't have anything we can identify with in terms of why would something like this be done. But again, it gets back to, we want to uh, try to understand what was going on in this time. What, how, would, how would this be relevant um, to Abraham? Yeah, I suspect if you were to enter into an agreement with God, he wouldn't have you cutting animals in half and uh, you know, to, um, to, to ratify something. But what did it mean to Abraham. Well, this is what happened. When the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and fear and terror came over him. Hey, okay, why? The Lord said to him, "Your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. They will be slaves there and will be treated cruelly for 400 years." And that's what happened. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and when they leave that foreign land, they will take great wealth with them. You yourself will live to a ripe old age, die in peace and be buried. Okay, so he he made this promise to Abraham. Okay, now here's what's uh, significant. If we read about uh, customs in that time, uh, this is what it meant to to split the animals. Uh, It was common in Abram's day for kings to subjugate defeated enemies. But when you defeat an enemy, how do you assure yourself that the enemy will not rise up and fight you again? The way the people of Abram's time could make themselves feel safe was to require the defeated foe to sacrifice animals, split them in half, and walk between the separated halves. And this is what they would say. May all of this and more happen to me if I do not fulfill my promise. Okay, meaning this violent act here, cutting the animals. May this happen to me if I don't fulfill my promise. Now, in this case, who was it, who was it that walked between the split animals? It was the, uh, well, in, in the custom, it was the defeated king who walked through the animals. And so can we imagine perhaps uh, Abraham is thinking, boy, I'm entering into an agreement with this god, and um, I'm, I'm, he's going to ask me to walk through these animals, and I'm going to say, may all of this happen to me if somehow I fail in this uh, agreement that we're entering into. Uh, that's why it's so remarkable what actually happened. Abraham wasn't the one that walked between the animals. Okay, we just read on. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch suddenly appeared and passed between the pieces of the animals. And so many times in the Bible God, you know, a God is a consuming fire, of course the famous verse in the New Testament but at the burning bush, so many places God is represented by fire. And so this was God the stronger who passed through the split animals. I mean, I just think the action here would say something that God would seem to do something very countercultural, And that's kind of the, the theme of this Bible study. What we'll see is God is doing things we don't expect, but his actions are very calculated to try to uh, move the, the picture of God in a different direction, that the stronger would do what in the custom was something that the weaker did. And of course, We see that in Jesus, God in human form, the stronger, the strongest, who came as a servant. And so I think it ties well with this verse in Philippians that the attitude you should have is the one that Christ had. He always had the nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had, took the nature of a servant. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, his death on the cross. And there are just countless examples through the Bible of God condescending to serve, God the stronger serving the weaker. And uh, this is just one of those examples here, that God is the one that passed between the the split animals. Well, just a couple of other uh, small little things that happen here along the way, because the other thing I want to talk about mainly is the sacrifice of uh, Isaac. But later on, God came and talked to Abraham, and Abraham hurried into the tent to find Sarah. Quick, he said, get three measures of flour, knead it and make bread. Then Abraham ran to the herd, took one of his best calves. He gave it to his servant who prepared it quickly. And meanwhile, God is out there. How long do you think it takes to uh, cook a calf? Probably takes a little while. And you imagine, what did God do? Did he stroll around a little bit? Did he just sit there for a couple hours? Um, kind of like what happened with Gideon, but I like to just imagine here that God comes down, I mean, and he kind of patiently waits for this calf to be cooked. Abraham took cheese and milk as well as the meat and set these in front of them. Now, God is not going to eat meat, is he? But then he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Uh, do you think God, is, God uh, enjoys calf meat? Um, why didn't uh, I mean? What do you think he commented to Abraham? That oh, boy this is really tasty. Um, do you think he said, "Well, we have uh, much better meat in heaven. It's uh, much uh, more flavorful." I mean, I know I like to think. I mean, Jesus, after the resurrection, came back and ate fish with his disciples, and um, you know it was the custom, and so God here. You know, accepted the hospitality of Abraham But I like to think what it says about God He didn't just say, hey, let's forget the calf Let me just snap my fingers And we'll have this wonderful spread of food That we enjoy in heaven Um, He enjoyed the meal that uh, Abraham made for him Yeah, hard to think about um, All of that But, again, God doesn't seem We we tend to think God should rapidly fix Perhaps uh, some of our misperceptions This is a minor one We wonder why God would tolerate things like polygamy so long. And uh, as we go through the next few books of the Bible, we'll see so many things where it just seemed like it was too fast for God to instantly bring people to the ideal. So he slowly uh, leads them along. Okay, another little uh, funny thing that happened here. Remember God, Sarah's 99, and he says, no, you're still going to have a child. And Sarah laughed to herself. And said, now that I am old and worn out, can I still enjoy sex? And this can be translated uh, various ways, not only this way. This is how the Good News Bible translates it. And besides, my husband is old too. And then the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, can I really have a child when I'm so old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? As I said, nine months from now, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Because Sarah was afraid, she denied it. I didn't laugh, she said. Yes, you did. Uh, God replied, you laughed. And uh, we wonder, you know, was God uh, upset about this, that she laughed? Um, Well, of course, we just read on. Sarah had a child and said, God has brought me joy and laughter. Everyone who hears about it will laugh with me. And read over to Hebrews 11, chapter of great men and women of faith. And of course, we read about Abraham and Sarah in there, even though Sarah laughed uh, when God said she would have a child. But now that brings us to, brings us to uh, the really difficult um, story here about uh, Abraham and Isaac. And um, if, if we don't try to put this in the setting of what was going on in the day, well, we, we end up typically uh, coming to an, an elaborate, uh, maybe understanding of the cross based on uh, what happened here with Abraham and Isaac, that uh, we represent Isaac, And that uh, God would have to uh, do something to us. Okay, but uh, Jesus steps in, of course. God killed his son, and so we uh, escape. Now, uh, I think there are some remnants of that that we could work with to understand uh, some important things, but I think that really misses uh, the important understanding here of what happened between Abraham and Isaac. And again, Uh, Just to read the words, God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. And again, just to make it real, Abraham is praised for his trust in going forward with this. Uh, But would that suggest that, uh, well, I guess most of you don't have children, but uh, if you heard a voice in the night that told you to go and sacrifice uh, someone who was very close to you, if you were really uh, a person of God, would you do it? See, most of you shaking your head no. Uh, Well, uh, did Abraham do it? Isn't he our example? I put pictures up here, these are my kids. Um, And uh, boy, can you imagine, I mean, try to make it very real. A voice spoke to me, would I do it? A couple weeks ago, we all had uh, Chinese food and all of us had very intense dreams during the night. How would I know? Maybe it was a voice (laughs) or um, was it just the food? Be difficult. Well, what I find interesting is uh, Abraham just got up and he was on his way. And we know that Abraham is not afraid um, to question God because next time when we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Abraham was not intimidated to say this to God. Surely you wouldn't do such a thing. Destroying the righteous along with the wicked? Why, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of the earth do what is right? Okay, but in the story of Abraham and Isaac, we don't have any description of Abraham saying, well, surely you must do what is right. He got up and he was on his way. Okay, why did he just get up and... uh, And take off. Well, again, I think what we need to do is we need to understand the time. Abraham and his family, we know we're serving other gods, and then God called Abraham out and he started a new nation. Uh, I think God is always trying to teach and to bring people closer to what is really true. And so we need to understand well, what was it like to serve the other gods in this day? And this gets us to the concept, which is I think very important. Well, So many times in the Old Testament we'll see this, where God is an iconoclast. What is an iconoclast? One who destroys religious images. One who attacks settled beliefs or institutions. And C.S. Lewis talks a lot about this. He describes God as the great iconoclast, that he himself breaks the false images. And I think what God is doing in this story um, is He is holding up, elevating a belief about how the gods are. He allows it to stand there very clearly for everyone to see, and then he shatters it. So let's try to understand that. First of all, um, what's the hallmark of paganism all the way through the Bible? uh, If there's one feature of paganism, it is the gods are angry, they need to be appeased. Um, They need lots of flowing blood. Remember Elijah at the altar, the priests cut themselves. Uh, so that Baal would see lots of flowing blood, child sacrifice, it's appeasement is the single hallmark of paganism. And I'll just bring up a couple of examples, because all the way through the Old Testament, there's a kind of a weird story in Second Kings. Okay, the Israelites are fighting the Moabites, and they're winning. And when the king of Moab realized that he was losing the battle, he took 700 swordsmen with him and tried to force his way through the enemy lines and escape to the king of Syria, but he failed. So he took his oldest son who was to succeed him as king and offered him on the city wall as a sacrifice to the God of Moab. Now, notice what happened. The Israelites were terrified. And so they drew back from the city and returned to their own country. Why were they terrified? Well, even though God had told them, I am the only God, there is only one, what not the history of uh, all the way through the Old Testament of them going off and worshiping these other gods? And so I think here they see the ultimate act of devotion to a, a God, which is to kill your own son. And they were terrified, well, maybe the God of Moab, he's gonna spring into action, he's gonna do something because look what the king did, killed his own son. And so they ran away and, and were terrified uh, because of this. Okay, it's the ultimate act of devotion to kill your firstborn um, in appeasement of, of the gods. Jeremiah would say, "They built altars to Baal in Hinnom Valley to sacrifice their sons and daughters to the god Moloch. Uh, Moloch was the god who they would heat up his metal hands and place the babies inside." And uh, what's what's just unthinkable, we talk about Solomon being the wisest man that ever lived. And for a period of time, he worshiped the god Moloch. God would say, I did not command them to do this. And it did not even enter my mind that they would do such a thing. That's kind of a strange expression for God. And make the people of Judah sin. So we have this deep, deeply rooted conviction uh, that God is angry, the gods are angry, but they're happy if they're appeased with sacrifice. And so when Micah, a very familiar verse, when he asks this question, this is not just a rhetorical question, what shall I bring to the Lord, the God of heaven? When I come to worship him, shall I bring him the best calves to burn his offerings to him? Will the Lord be pleased if I bring him thousands of sheep or endless streams of olive oil? How about this? Shall I offer him my firstborn child to pay for my sins? Okay, well, should we? And I like the answer here, no. The Lord has told us what is good. What he requires of us is this, to do what is just or to do what is right, to show constant love and to live in humble fellowship with our God. And so um, God made the statement many times in the Bible, hey, I don't demand sacrifice. That's not how you get right uh, with me. But in the story of Abraham, I mean, just imagine you're living in the time of Abraham and there are lots of these other gods and you heard the story of Abraham and Isaac. Uh, wouldn't you say, well, there is one unique thing about the God of Abraham. Um, he certainly doesn't desire uh, sacrifice. He doesn't desire the death of a firstborn, at least. Okay, that would be a unique, distinctive belief about the God of Abraham. Okay, it would make a very, very vivid the story. Uh, would make a very vivid impression. And so we imagine Abraham here holding up the knife and it's almost like, I mean, he's really willing to go through this. And we wonder if Abraham is thinking, well, I guess he's like all of the other gods. Okay, and then of course at at that exact moment is that image is just held there. We're all asked to believe, is it really true? And then of course, um, God stops Abraham and, and a lamb is provided. And so I think the point of the story is to say, I am not that way and I will provide. And of course, God himself provided the sacrifice, uh, ultimately in Jesus Christ. Okay, it would be a, a radically distinctive, different picture of God, the God of Abraham. Well, he doesn't desire uh, to be appeased through the sacrifice of our children. And so uh, these verses, they're so abundant. Uh, probably the best one here is Hosea 6.6, 6, where God would say, what I want from you is plain and clear, just like Micah. I want your constant love, not your animal sacrifices. I would rather have my people know me than burn offerings to me. And Hebrew uh, poetry is not based on rhyme, but on repetition. And so when we look at these two lines together here, uh, I want your constant love, that goes with knowing me. Remember eternal life is to know God. What does that mean? God wants a relationship. He wants to experience that relationship with us. He wants us to know him uh, as a friend. And we contrast that with not animal sacrifices or burning offerings. And um, what I did, and I I struggled with whether to actually do this or not, but uh, our understanding of the cross, I mean, didn't the sacrificial system, was it not ultimately fulfilled in Jesus? Uh, But yet we often describe or sometimes subtly imply that the death of Jesus also was uh, an appeasement, which I think really reflects remnants of uh, pagan beliefs about God. And so what I want to do is, in the next several verses, we're going to substitute all of the Old Testament verses about animal sacrifices, and we'll we'll just uh, substitute here with the death of Jesus. And let's just see if this works. 1 Samuel 15, 20. What is more pleasing to the Lord, to bring him the blood of his son or to offer obedience to his voice? Obedience is far better than sacrifice. Listening to him is much better than offering him the blood of his son. Now, we'll spend so much time uh, talking about the death of Jesus, which was absolutely necessary, no question. But is God happy if we offer him blood? Uh, Was he appeased by the death of Jesus? Let's read a few more. In Proverbs twenty-one, do what is right and fair. Isn't that? Aren't we seeing that so often? Hey, do what is right. Treat people fairly. That pleases the Lord more than bringing him the blood of his son. In Psalms forty, this one is uh, very stimulating to think about here. But uh, the words: you do not want here for animal sacrifices. You do not want the blood of your son. You did not ask for the death of your son or for sacrifices to take away sins. We sometimes suggest, well, we have better blood now. And the blood of animals, now we have better blood. uh, The blood of uh, God's son. Instead, you have given me ears to hear you. And so I answered, here I am. Your instructions for me are in the book of the law. How I love to do your will, my God. I keep your teachings in my heart. Isn't that what God really wants? Psalms 50. I do not reprimand you because of the animal sacrifices, but let's say, I do not reprimand you because of the blood of my son, which you always bring me, but yet I do not need blood. Do I eat flesh and drink blood? Here is what I want. Let the giving of thanks be your sacrifice to God and give the almighty all that you promised. Psalms 51. You do not want animal sacrifices. You do not want the blood of your son or I would bring it to you. The sacrifice that you desire is a humble spirit, O God. You will not reject a humble and repentant heart. Psalm 69. I will praise God with a song. I will proclaim his greatness by giving him thanks. This will please the Lord more than offering him the blood of his son. And finally, Amos 5. The Lord says, I hate your religious festivals. I cannot stand them. When you bring me the blood of my son, I will not accept it. I will not accept all this blood you bring me as offerings. Stop your noisy songs. I do not want to listen to your music any longer. Instead, let justice flow like a stream and righteousness like a river that never goes dry. If we are um, just in a a worship experience that uh, where we're just talking about blood and blood, and then there's nothing, no actions, no, we're not taking care of the poor, we're not caring about the people around us, is God pleased with that? Oh, we talk about blood. I had a medical student several years ago uh, who was kind of skeptical. He didn't come to any of the Bible studies, but he knew that I liked to uh, talk about this kind of stuff, and uh, he came up and said, well, are we saved by red blood cells or platelets? And uh, I thought it was actually a pretty good question. Um, is there intrinsic power in blood? What does it mean? We talk about being saved by the blood. Yeah, I see some of you identifying uh, different things here on the slide. <sighs> well, you know, it, there, there is a strong, still uh, uh, description often about this. Uh, words of someone uh, quite famous today about the atonement, that God appeased his holy wrath against us. Well, we need to spend a long time talking about the cross. Uh, Was God appeased at the cross? Well, let's talk about, uh, let's just bring up one verse here about Jesus and blood. What do you think about these words about blood? Jesus would say, if you do not eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you will not have life in yourself. Uh, Is Jesus talking about cannibalism here? Of course not, but what does it mean? Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them to life on the last day, for my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood live in me, and I live in them. Uh, We'll have so much more time to talk about this, but uh, I would just suggest we've been putting the blood on the wrong place, as if the blood is a, a, a covering somehow to shield us. Uh, the blood needs to be on the inside. okay? And the blood, I mean, God became a flesh and blood human being. The life is in the blood. We should not just associate the blood with the death. The, the death was the culmination of the life of Jesus. Uh, why did God become a human? Um, as we've suggested, eternal life is to know God. God came to reveal that he is trustworthy that he is good, that we might enter back into a relationship with him again. And so just like you eat something, when you internalize um, God as revealed by Jesus Christ, every every word and action, the the meaning of Jesus' death, it's like food. It, It permeates your whole body. And Jesus would describe here, what does it mean to eat my flesh and drink my blood? Well, notice, they have eternal life. And he would later say, in very clear words, eternal life is to know you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood live in me and I live in them. So to eat the flesh, drink the blood, I mean, this is intimacy. Okay, this is a union of uh, God with us. That's how the Bible ends, in a marriage, right? That's the whole point where, of God coming is to bring us back into that uh, oneness uh, with him. And so, um, just a few words here uh, on the atonement. Um, it's interesting about the atonement here. We might look it up in a current dictionary. And uh, we read that, well, it's a, a, a reparation for an offense or injury or to make amends. And that, that would suggest somewhat, uh, perhaps, of, of an appeasement uh, that maybe we should incorporate into the word uh, atonement. Okay, but... This word here, from uh, the Latin ad and unum, it literally means to at one, or at one mint," At one ment. And so when we look at how this was used back in the 16th century, and Shakespeare would uh, refer to this in several of his plays, uh, the atonement was two, two parties reconciling, coming together. And the word atonement... Again, coming back here to the 16th century, King James Bible 1611, only, it's only one time here in the King James Bible, and that's in Romans 511, which reads this way in the King James. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Okay, and just look up lots of modern translations of Romans 511, which read somewhat like this. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. The atonement literally is the atonement; it's the bringing of two things together, and uh, friendship with God. And I think the biggest thing is if we if we see Jesus as somewhat less than God, then we naturally begin to uh, imagine one person perhaps doing something to the lesser person that. Jesus was fully God. Uh, There's no split between God the Father and God the Son. They're one in heart, mind, and desire. Uh, God came in human form to reveal his love for us and to restore us back into relationship and friendship. And I don't think we find any element of appeasement in a description of the the cross. Uh, But we'll have to spend more time talking about that. Okay, let's pray. Father, once again, we are um, so thankful that... You did come, that you did reveal such wonderful things to us about who you are, a God who serves, a God who's humble, kind. Uh, really shows us that we can trust the one with all the power. Help us to come to greater understandings of who you are. In your name we pray, amen.